men sent by God who basically said to the tenants living in the vineyard, you're not producing fruit for God. And in more specificity, they would say, and you're not being a light to all of the nations. This is Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. You know, God owns everything. This is illustrated clearly in one of the parables Jesus teaches in the Gospel of Matthew. So what can we learn about our culture from these parables? Today, David continues our series, The Kingdom, with the first section of a message he calls, The Parable of the Tenants. Great to have all of you here as we continue this study of the kingdom of God, which was Jesus' most often talked about subject. Whenever he preached, taught parables, he taught about the kingdom of God. We're looking at Matthew's gospel for the next several weeks and trying to examine the parables of the kingdom of God. A parable is an earthly story that gives a heavenly meaning. Uh, So today we're going to look at Matthew, the 21st chapter, verses 33 through 46. But before we go there, uh, let me give you the context of what was going on when Jesus told this parable, because I think the parable will become alive for you if you understand its context. Uh, Here's what's happening. Uh, This parable is told during what we call Holy Week on the Tuesday before Jesus went to the cross on Friday. Now, let me back up a bit. On Sunday, Jesus entered into Jerusalem, what we call Palm Sunday. Uh, The people seeing him come into the city anticipated that he was the long-awaited Messiah who would finally eradicate Rome from all of Israel. But Jesus' idea of a kingdom was not a militaristic king, but was a king of the human heart. Even though the people laid palm branches before him, crying out, Hosanna, which means save us, save us from Roman oppression. And also he rode a donkey in fulfillment of Zechariah 9.9, which said Messiah will come into Jerusalem riding on a colt. Jesus did so in fulfillment of that. His understanding of kingdom was totally different than the people's understanding of the kingdom. So that's why within just a few days, the people would go from Hosanna, save us, to crucify him on Friday. He did not meet their understandings of a messianic kingdom. So Jesus then went on Sunday from Jerusalem to the town of Bethany, about three miles outside of Jerusalem, and there he spent the night with his three very close friends, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. The next day, he gets up on Monday, and he goes into Jerusalem, and he goes by a fig tree, and he curses the fig tree because it's not giving fruit. Keep that in mind. The fig tree is symbolic of Israel. It's not giving fruit, so Jesus curses it. Then he goes into the temple, and there he sees something that absolutely bothers him. It is the money changers in the temple, and he drives them out. Now, a lot of people through the years have said, see, the church is not supposed to use its foyer areas to try to make money. That's like the money changers in the temple. And certainly that bothered Jesus. That did tick him off. But the major reason Jesus was ticked off and wanted to cleanse the temple of the money changers is because on the outward concentric circle was the court of the Gentiles. They could come and have some time there to try to then move to the next concentric circle, the circle of the women, then the next one was the court of the men, and then finally the holy of the holies. 
What God designed Israel to be from the very beginning was to bear fruit for him, especially in bringing the nations into faith in the one true God. When God called Abraham in Genesis 12, 3 and formed a covenant with him and his children, which would be the nation of Israel, he said to him, I'm going to bless you abundantly so that you will be a blessing to all the nations on the face of the earth. That was God's design. Israel bear fruit and reach all the nations of the earth through an understanding of the one true God, worshiping him, the laws that God would give them, and then also their witness to the world by obedience to those laws and caring for them. So when Jesus came to the temple and he realized that, as Isaiah 49, 6 says, God said Israel's supposed to be a light to the nations, a light to the Gentiles, and he saw the Gentiles being prevented from moving to the next concentric circle toward the Holy of Holies where they could worship the one true God. When he saw the money changers and what they were doing, creating such a commotion on that outer circle was happening, keeping again the Gentiles from worshiping God, he was one ticked off dude. And he cleansed the temple of the money changers primarily because he wanted the Gentiles to be able to worship God. That's why he said, don't you understand what Isaiah said? The temple was built by David and Solomon to be a house of prayer. Too many of you stop right there. Don't forget the last part of it. The purpose of the temple was to be built so it would be a house of prayer for all the nations. So Jesus saw that Israel was not bearing fruit the way God wanted it to bear fruit, especially in the way it was supposed to reach all of the nations for God's glory. So Jesus cleansed the temple on that Monday, and he ticked off the religious leaders. Then he went back to Bethany, spent the night on Monday night with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And then on Tuesday, he got back up with his disciples, walked back into Jerusalem. By the way, on the way, the disciples say, hey, look at the fig tree. It's dead. And Jesus used that as a teaching moment to say it's dead because it did not take seriously the call of God to bear fruit among the nations of the earth. It had become enclosed. So Jesus then goes back to the temple and he encounters the religious leaders again. Now, this is so interesting because you know after he cleansed the temple, they were making plans to kill him. They wanted him dead. So this is Tuesday. He's going to the cross on Friday. And this is his last chance to maybe assuage their feelings to maybe change their minds regarding how they look at him. But what does he do? He tells a parable, a story that basically pokes them in the eye more, that does even more of what he was trying to say, you've forgotten about your purpose, and that was to bear fruit for God, especially among the nations of the earth. So he tells this parable in Matthew 21, 33 through 46, to the religious leaders, challenging them why they didn't bear fruit for God. Jesus said, hear another parable. There was a master of a house who planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug wine presses in it and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season for fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the tenants to get his fruit. And the tenants took his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, 
he sent other servants more than the first, and they did the same thing. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and have his inheritance. And they took him and threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. When therefore the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to these tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and let out the vineyard to others who will give him the fruits in their seasons. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. And although they were seeking to arrest him, they feared the crowds because they held him to be a prophet. So in these verses, we have a common practice that occurred in Jesus' day that still occurs today. Uh, In order to make money, somebody who has a good bit of money buys something and owns that property, then loans that property out to tenants then, thirdly, makes money from those tenants off his property. Again, the practice was held in Jesus' day. It's done today as well. So that's what this parable is all about. It's about someone who owns a vineyard, and that person is God. So here is the point of today's message. God owns everything. Say it with me. God owns everything. Now you know today's message, I can go home, okay? No, now let me explain to you how the parable supports that idea that God owns everything. So look at each piece of the parable and you'll see how it makes sense. So he says, there was a master of a house who planted a vineyard. The master of the house is God. He owns the house and he planted the vineyard. It's all his. And he put a fence around it. That means he called through Abraham's covenant in Genesis 12, 3, a nation. And Abraham's seed produced the nation of Israel. And God gave them a place called the promised land where they still exist to this day. And he drew boundaries around it, put a fence around it. That nation was a nation that God formed with his chosen people. And he dug a wine press in it, which means he blessed it with wine and food. And he built a tower, which was always done in order to protect the people. So God oversaw and protected his nation called Israel. And he leased it, noticed he loaned it to tenants and went into another country. So God's the one who owns everything, gave Israel this nation. He loaned it to them, gave them everything, and then he withdrew. The tenants in this story are obviously the religious leaders and the Israelites. They are the ones who have the responsibility of overseeing God's vineyard. And then, of course, the problem is there's no fruit. 
They're not making any money. And so the owner of the vineyard realizes this and needs to remind them why he loaned them the place where they lived and all the blessings that they had. He therefore sent several different people to them to remind them that their call was to bear fruit for the owner of the vineyard. These people who came to remind the tenants are the prophets of God. They are people that God sent, mostly seen in Elijah, Elisha, but more primarily in the prophetic books of the Old Testament, Isaiah through Malachi, men sent by God who basically said to the tenants living in the vineyard, you're not producing fruit for God. And in more specificity, they would say, and you're not being a light to all of the nations. The Israelites and leaders' response to the prophets was to beat or kill them. And they did so with a good number of them. What did God do then? He sent even more of his servants to remind Israel of their responsibility to bear fruit. Notice how many God sent over the years, over the decades, over the centuries. But with each one, they were beaten, killed, and stoned. Until finally the owner said, I'll send my own son. My only son, the heir of everything I own. And he perhaps can get through to them. So the son is sent, and what did they do to him? They say, ha ha, we kill him, we get the inheritance, it's ours. And so Jesus at that moment, after teaching about the son who was killed as well, asked this question to the religious leaders. When the owner returns, not if, but, but he is going to return. When the owner returns, what will he do with the tenants? Their answer was this. He should kill those wretched tenants. He should get rid of them entirely. And he should give the vineyard to somebody else who will produce fruit as they should. Then Jesus quotes from Psalm 118, verse 42. And he says, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Well, every builder in here knows that the most important stone in a building is the cornerstone. Upon that stone, every other part of the building is built. And Jesus said, I'm the cornerstone of the building that God is building here. And yet, you've rejected it. You've rejected me. And on me, you're going to fall and God's going to do something marvelous because of your rejection of me. Then he says, as the religious leaders did, this vineyard is going to be given to another who will produce fruit. Now, for all of you ecclesiologists out there, which is a fancy word for church folk, God did give the vineyard to another. Now remember, he called Israel to be a holy people. When he made a covenant with Israel through Abraham that was extended through Moses, giving of the law on Mount Sinai, all, he created a holy people. 
a different kind of person who worshiped the one true God, obeyed his laws, and wanted to live as holy people under a holy God. And when he brought them into the promised land, they were to live amidst a godless, pagan, Canaanite group of people. They'd be a different kind of people, and in their differences, they would draw the world to God. That was his design. They failed. They became enclosed, self-righteous, judgmental, angry. One of the best rabbinic prayers to give evidence to how they refuted the world was, Lord, I thank you that I'm not a dog or a Gentile. They hated the Gentiles. And so God, through Jesus, took away the Israelite vineyard and gave it to somebody else. To whom did he give it? Folks, to whom did he give it? The, the church of Jesus Christ. And most of our theological struggles come with God who's trying to convince us it's really his and we think it's ours. <laughs> and, and isn't it interesting for those of us who are parents and have children how many times we saw, saw our children fight over a toy and one would say what? It's mine. And the other would say, no, it's mine. No, it's mine. No, it's mine. Till finally the parent has to intercede and yank out the toy and realize we're the ones who bought it. And we say, no, it's mine. <laughs> and, and that's what God's trying to do with all of us is we cling tenaciously to our toys on this side of eternity and say, mine. The parable shows people who wrongly believed life and creations are mine. And therefore, if you become myopic and enclosed, you'll never bear fruit for God. Listening to Moments of Hope with David Chadwick. Thanks for listening. Coming up, David joins me in the studio in a discussion about the gift of memory. We'll be right back. This is the Ministry Minute, focusing on ministries that have a positive impact on our community. I'm Mark McManus, and with me today is Bart Noonan with West Boulevard Ministry. Bart, Tell us about West Boulevard Ministry. Uh, thank you, Mark, for this opportunity to speak about West Boulevard Ministry and, and more importantly about Jesus Christ. West Boulevard Ministry serves the spiritual and physical needs of the families and the communities within the West Boulevard quarter to the glory of Jesus Christ. Whether we're doing neighborhood outreach cookouts, gatherings where we're bringing people outside of their apartments, their homes, into fellowship with one another, or we're doing Bible study bingo the first Wednesday of every month at Little Rock Apartments. And uh, we gather anywhere from 50 to 70 children that we share the gospel with and we play bingo after our Bible study portion of the night. And a couple weeks ago, there's a young man who we've been walking with now close to three years who came in, he, he forgot something, like a lot of young, young kids do, he forgot something in the um, space, and he came back in and he ended up praying out myself and all the other volunteers for the West Boulevard ministry team that were gathered there for that night and led us all in prayer and closed it out. And this young man, we've been taking to church every every Sunday for about the past year and a half. And, and that's what it's all about. It's about providing an opportunity for Jesus Christ to work inside someone's heart and, and then encourage them along the way. That sounds great. Now, Bart, if any of our listeners want to get in contact with you, how would they do that? The best way to do is uh, either email myself at bart at westboulevardministry.org or they can call me straight up in my cell phone and I always answer. I'm sort of like a doctor. The phone's always on and that's 980-298-9027. I would encourage folks too to also go to our website, which is westboulevardministry.org and there you can see some of our photo galleries, you can see some of the blogs and a lot of things we do throughout the West Boulevard Corridor to the glory of Jesus Christ. It is great having you with us today. Thank you very much. Thank you, Mark. 
I'm Jen Houston. Thanks for listening today. Joining me in the studio is our pastor, David Chadwick. David, thank you so much for joining us. Hi, Jen. It's great being with you as well. Well, David, in one of your morning e-devotions, you've recently written that memory is a gift from God. Can you talk with us about that? I can. It's something that I have come to realize more and more the older I get looking back on my life and particularly remembering those wonderful experiences that have occurred to me from God, gifts he has given to me. So let's look at this idea in greater depth. Everything we have on this earth is a gift from God, including our memories. Memories allow us to capture and reflect upon all the goodness the Lord has bestowed on us. Precious blessings, needed provision, sometimes small answered prayers, at other times unimaginable miracles. God wants us all to remember all the ways that he has blessed us, our personal miracles as well as those for all of mankind. For example, God instructed the Jews constantly to remember the miraculous parting of the Red Sea. For Christians, God tells us to constantly remember the resurrection, God's intervention into death to assure us all of the gift of eternal life. And while sometimes memory doesn't feel like a gift from God, mm. it is. Even remembering painful situations can be difficult but there's always a purpose to our pain, and that purpose usually involves us being like Jesus, our increased reliance on God. So remembering bad things that have happened keep us from doing those things again, but also continue to conform us to the image of Jesus. So today, listeners, remember a time that God did a miracle for you. Remember something good that happened to you, a time in which God came through for you in a very difficult difficult, seemingly impossible situation. Now, keep remembering it over and over again. Keep massaging your brain with that thought. Don't let it escape because here's the key. As you feel God's warmth flood all over you as you remember his goodness to you and you have that great feeling come over your life, here's something that's very special. If God did it once for you, he can do it again. Hmm. Let me say it again. If God did it once for you, he can do it again. Yeah. And that's why, dear friends, memory is a gift from God. I think this is awesome. And I love how our scriptures, our holy book was passed down. And so many of the stories are recollections of God's intervention. And I've shared this um, on, on one of our hope casts about God's intervention in my life of renaming me and highlighting my middle name. And when I think of that in a time of discouragement, it reminds me of how near God really is to us yeah. and how intimately he loves us. Yeah, Jen, you know, when you think about all the biblical characters who got a new name. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. You know, Jacob, whose name means trickster, shyster, becomes Israel, which means God strives, you know, God gives you mm -hmm. the strength you need in any situation. Uh, when you think, for example, that Saul, which means kind of diminutive, becomes Paul, the great and mighty apostle to the Gentiles, you can see God's work in changing his name. Mm -hmm. 
Peter went from Simon, which means son of the dove, wishy-washy, always changing your mind, going from this end to the other, becomes Peter, the rock of the church. And interestingly, in the book of Revelation, it says we'll all receive a new name in heaven. Wow. Isn't that going to be cool? That's going to be very cool. As God names us in accordance with his will for us in eternity. So everyone, thank you for listening today. If you'd like to receive a daily moment of hope, go to momentsofhopechurch.org. You can subscribe there. You'll have a gift from me to your inbox every morning free of charge at 7 a.m., a way for me to give you a daily moment of hope. This has been Moments of Hope with David Chadwick, Senior Pastor of Moments of Hope Church. Today's message is from our online worship service, and you can be a part of our service each Sunday morning at both 9 and 11 o'clock by going to momentsofhopechurch.org. And while you're online, be sure to sign up for David's daily Moments of Hope, delivered every morning to your inbox. And also, check out David's weekly HopeCast. They're both free and available through our website. Again, that web address is momentsofhopechurch.org. For David and the entire Moments of Hope Church staff, this is Jen Houston, asking that you pray for a spirit of truth to fall upon our nation.